welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. <clears throat> and this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday normal rhythms of life. And today we're going to be um, doing the Theology for Everyone segment of our podcast. We are slowly working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith, talking about important topics and important doctrines that you just don't naturally come across. We don't talk about them often, but they're foundational to our faith, to our understanding of Scripture, understanding of salvation, the gospel, etc. This afternoon, I've got Alex Tate with me. Going. And Bryce Dynamics. Hey. And Kevin is sick at home today. So um, we are in chapter seven of God's covenant with man. So we're talking about covenantal theology. That's the topic if you want to look it up in a systematic theology. We're in the uh, fourth article. And um, I'll go ahead and actually, you know what? We might just, oh man, that, that'd be a lot. We could get through four, five, and six today, just because they all go together so well. Um, did you do the scriptures for more than just five, uh, more than just four, five, four or what'd you do? Are we on? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got them all. Oh, you yeah. got them all for four, five, and six? Mm-hmm. Cool. Good work, guys. All right, so, article four. This covenant of grace, remember we're, we're talking about two covenants, covenant of works that God had with Adam and then a covenant of grace since then but we've seen that that covenant of grace has kind of evolved several different times right Um, okay so this covenant of grace is frequently set forth in scripture by the name of testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ the testator it's a word I don't think I've ever read before guys and to the everlasting inheritance, with all things belonging to it, therein bequeathed. Ooh, boy, we got some big words here. <clears throat> this covenant was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Okay, so we're making um, a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament here, okay? The time of the law and the time of the gospel. Still the covenant of grace, but it was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews. <clears throat> All for signifying, for signifying, looking forward to Christ to come, okay? Which were, for that time, sufficient and efficacious, whoa, through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation and is called the Old Testament. Okay, wow. That is um, a lot of words, right? But it's an important topic. He's saying, the, the, the authors are saying that the Old Testament is still the covenant of grace 
It's just administered differently. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing for, it was for signifying the coming of the Messiah. They still had salvation. It, it was still efficacious. It still brought salvation, even though it wasn't the fulfillment. It was pointing towards what Christ was going to do as the, as the Messiah, okay? It was sufficient for them. It was efficacious for them, and it worked through the Spirit even to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. So it was all signs pointing towards Jesus, okay? It was, it was meant to help them see the coming Messiah, right? Who would take away the sins of the world like their paschal lamb took away their sins, right? Mm-hmm. Let me read the last one. Under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, like we don't have lampstands of gold and all kind of crazy stuff, right? It's just baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yet in them, it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy. So they produce more fruit to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. All right, that was three articles. Uh, That was a lot of uh, old words, a lot of kind of difficult words. Um, What they're getting at here is many times people kind of like write off the Old Testament. And they go, oh, that's the, that's, that's the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. And they, they kind of wrap that language up and think that the Old Testament was all works-based religion and the New Testament is now just grace-based religion. And they don't see that the Old Testament was actually grace as well. It was actually grace first. It was actually still part of the covenant of grace. It's just God has been, he kind of slowly built out that covenant of grace. So when you say two grace, what do you you mean by that? Two covenants? Of grace. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the covenant, there's a covenant of works and there's a covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. That's it, okay? There's two covenants, that was it. One covenant, covenant was given to Adam. The other covenant was given to all of mankind, right? Um, since Adam, with, with, um, that was all based upon here's how you come to the Lord. Here's how you can be a part of God's family, right? Um, and it's not, many people see the Bible as the Old Testament was a covenant of works, and the New Testament was simply a covenant of grace. And they don't see the graciousness in what God did with Abraham, what God did with Moses, what God did with the prophets, what God did with David, what God did with the Paschal Lamb, with the Passover Lamb, 
what God did with the temple and the and before the temple, the um, the tabernacle. All of that was under the covenant of grace, right? Did they get grace? Did the people get grace? Yeah. They got grace, right? You sinned? Did you die? <laughs> yeah. No, an animal died for you. What do you call that? That's grace. You're under the covenant of grace. Now, the Westminster here is saying the what we see in the Old Testament is the covenant of grace still, but it was pointing forward to the fulfillment of that covenant in Jesus, right? It's pointing forward. So why did the Passover lamb, why, why did the Passover lamb keep their firstborn from dying? Because in the New Testament, Jesus was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. Jesus is what, Jesus, the reality of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what gave that Passover lamb power to forgive them of their sins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's why. It wasn't just because it was an animal. It was because Jesus, Jesus is the reality of that. That was a sign pointing forward to the reality of Jesus. Okay? So, is it a new covenant? Yeah, it's a new covenant in a sense, but it's still a covenant of, it's still the covenant of grace. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is there so? Is there something wrong with the language of old and new covenant? Because actually, new covenant is Jesus's language. When he says like, "This is the cup of the new covenant." Right. Yeah. And so, the the question you get into is is called continuity and discontinuity between the old and the new covenant, because the new covenant, well. I mean, Jesus said, when Jesus said, this is the new covenant, this is the final, this is the completion. This is the, this is the, <laughs> it's like the upgrade, right? Like this is the new iPhone. This is the new, because you saw we have the covenant with, of works, right? Then we have the covenant in the garden with Adam and Eve. Then you have the covenant with Noah. And then you have a covenant with Abraham. And then you have a covenant with David and you can go on and on. Are those all new covenants? Or is that all under the covenant of grace, but it's just kind of like upgrade? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Uh, you, get an, you get an iOS operating for, system 14, and then you get an update 14.1, 14 14.2, 14.2. All of those were pointing forward to now when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant, this is the fulfillment. This is here. There's no, nothing else coming. There's no other upgrade. Like this is, this is the final, final one because Jesus Christ himself is the reality that all of those things were pointing towards. I see the wheel spinning. Yeah, they're, in a, they're spinning in a different direction, though. Oh, okay. So it's just way too simple. It's an oversimplification, an overgeneralization to say, oh, the old, 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 you know, Old Testament, Old Covenant. Well, no, it's not like that. And in the old covenant, you also see the promise of the new covenant coming, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my my spirit in you. All these different things. And, and it's all by grace there. It's not by works. Abraham didn't earn his election. God elected him, right, first. God gave him grace before the signs of circumcision and these different things. All of that was was a work of grace. And so so that's what the, the confession is getting that it was just so the covenant was administered differently in the old testament because it was all a sign of what would come in the future 
And so we're still under the same covenant of grace. It's just been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So it says in Article 6, under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we don't have to kill animals, right? Like, why don't we do that anymore, right? We don't have to kill animals. Even the our clothing, you know, like under the Old Testament, they had to wear certain clothing and do all this kind of stuff. We don't have to do that anymore. Why? Jesus fulfilled all of that. The purity laws, Jesus fulfilled all of that. So we don't have to do all that. We don't have to burn incense and do all that stuff. Jesus fulfilled it. We preach the word. We administer the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administer with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. There are not, therefore, two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. So what's the, maybe I'm not, I'm not seeing it in uh, Article 5, but it says Christ is the substance under the gospel. And it, so Christ is also the substance under the law? Yes. But it was, but he wasn't here yet, right? Right. And so it was pointing forward to the substance. So uh, like Abraham and Isaac, right? Mm-hmm. We all, we, we, most of us should know but that story isn't just about Abraham and Isaac, right? Go get your son, your one and only son, whom you love, and go on top of that hill and kill him. And then just so happens a lamb gets caught in the thicket and you can kill the lamb, right? Hmm, what does that sound like? Yeah. yeah. That was pointing forward. It was signifying, pre-signifying of what was going to happen. It was meant to get people's imagination shaped in such a way that they would be looking for a sacrificial lamb. And maybe even they would recognize when God sent his one and only son in whom he loved and actually became, that son actually became the, the sacrificial lamb and took the sins of the world on himself and was killed so that we could live, right? Yeah. So that story really happened. It's historical narrative and it was under the covenant of grace, but it was pointing forward to what God himself would do in and through the person and work of Jesus. So Jesus is still the substance of what happened there. Mm-hmm. Blood and goats have no power. The blood of goats and, and sheep have no power to forgive sin. Mm-hmm. The reason they, that they were a type, they were signifying the blood of Christ, the perfect sacrificial lamb that would come. So would you say that the spirit was with the people and not in the people mm-hmm. in the Old Testament? Yeah, that's, what I, that's the best way to say it. Spirit was with the people and not in the people or not in the people in the same way. That's the only way I can say it. Spirit used to come upon people, do things like that. But in John, I think it is, Jesus says the Spirit is with you, but later will be in you mm-hmm. when he sends the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And so I think that's, I think that's it. That, so the Spirit still used those things to forgive them of their sin, but the Spirit was not, uh, the Spirit was in them, obviously, in a sense, to uh, regenerate them and bring them to faith and to save them but there was something about the indwelling of the Spirit that is unique now under 
um, quote unquote, the new covenant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, once the covenant, once the reality of the covenant is here. Yeah. So when the reality shows up, you don't need the signs. Think of it when you're driving, you're driving down to Memphis, you, every hundred miles, you see a sign, Memphis, hundred or Memphis, you know, thousand miles, Memphis, 900 miles, Memphis, 800 miles. And then you get to Memphis and you don't see no signs. Why? You don't need the signs. You're there. So the old Testament's got all these different signs pointing forward to the Messiah, pointing forward to the new covenant. And then once you get there, all those signs are gone. Right. Or most of those signs, most of those signs are gone. Most of those weird things we read, read back into them and go, what is going on in the Old Testament? We don't do most of those things anymore because the reality is here. What do we do? Well, we preach the word and we do uh, the, the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of which Jesus gave us, right? The reality showed up and he changed the game. Yep. He said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you, Right. And then on the night that he was betrayed, he took the, he took the bread and the, took the Passover meal, and changed. And in a sense, he didn't cha- he didn't change it; he fulfilled it. Yeah. No longer is it just the Passover meal; now it's the Lord's Supper. Right. right? So the bread that, that represented something else in the Old Testament, they could you know they had to leave. Pharaoh booted them out of Egypt so fast that they didn't have time for their bread to rise, and so they ate unleavened bread. That's why they're eating the Passover and the and the um, you right and, and and so now that means something different. Now that's my body that's that's broken for you, yeah. right? And this cup is the cup of the new covenant, and I won't drink it again until I drink it with with uh, my Father in in heaven. Basically, he says. So, so that's the difference. Now, there's I'm not going to get into it. This is the bare bones of covenant theology okay there's dispensational theology out there that teaches um that that are the ones that usually teach old testament new testament you know hard divide between the old testament new testament um no continuity between the old testament the new covenant and then they get all kind of weird um some weird eschatology in there about the end times and um i haven't read up on dispensationalism in a while but like if you read something like the Left Behind series, the Left Behind series is, is dispensational and um, and I don't think accurately interprets or understands the covenantal nature of God, that God only acts in relation to human beings in response to a covenant. And you're either under the covenant of works or you're under the covenant of grace. That's it. So that's why people go to hell. People go to hell because they're under the covenant of works. And until you believe in Christ, then you're under the covenant of grace. So is common grace not lumped in with the covenant of grace? No, I don't think so. Common grace, no. Common grace is, I mean, you maybe in a sense, it's, it, you know, it is a grace, right? It, mm-hmm. It's a grace that we don't deserve to breathe his air, drink his water, be on his planet. But... Um, and so in a sense, that's covenantal as well because God made a covenant with the sun and, you know, and creation, the seasons. <clears throat> so, um, But it's not the same grace that the no, divines are talking about no, here. No, this is salvific grace. This is the grace that saves. So 
when you're under the doc, when you're under the um, the covenant of grace, you're in God's forever family, right? You're 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 saved. So the new covenant isn't necessarily the new covenant. It's the fulfilled covenant. Well, you, we can say it's the new covenant because Jesus said that, right? We can use his language. Um, but yeah, it's the, it, you could say that. It's the, it's the covenant of grace brought to, its, brought to its goal. It's telos, right? This is what he was, um, this is the, the covenant that he, meant to, that he meant to do all along. It just took a long time to develop. Why do you think people love the the works more than the grace? Huh. Mm. Well, one, we're born with hearts set on works. Um, We're born under the law, in a sense. We're born sinners. And so... The fallen na- our fallen nature wants to prove ourselves. Yeah. Also, we want to make our own way in the world. Um, <clears throat> we want people to say, we really appreciate pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and making our way. Everybody loves the story like, you know, Elon Musk and the Amazon, Jeff, Jeff Bezos and these guys that like, now we kind of hate them because... It's like once you make over a certain amount of money, people start hating you. But trillionaire, yeah, you know what I mean. But but we like, at least in America, we like that story of the 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 one guy who overcame all the odds, and by his sheer intellect or willpower or smarts or strength or work ethic, made something of himself. And there's something good. There's something good about that, right? But that's not the way we can relate to God. And it's not even the way you can really relate to the world because what do you have that you weren't given by God? Like, so we, we really like to boast, like we did this, we did this, we did that. And, uh, you know, our parents could always look at it, look at us and go, well, you got that from me. Mm-hmm. Like I gave you those DNA. Yeah. Oh, you're six foot five and you can dunk. Oh, well, guess what? <laughs> you got that from me. You didn't have five foot parents and that just, you just made yourself tall. You know, like, you got that from me. And everything that we have, we should be able to say, I got that from God. My IQ, my intellect, my DNA, my work ethic, all of that. Do we have to, do we have to, are we involved in that? And do we have to work hard on all those things? Yes. But we're not working from scratch, right? We're we're starting off with a head start, uh, whatever God gave us. It's still mind-blowing because a lot of people, you know, you will say, Oh, it's nothing but God. You know, God has done all this, and people still justify in their minds like the works that you've done to get to bam, bam, bam. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Like it even says it in the under the the gospel um, article in here that there's less outward glory about the covenant of grace coming through the gospel. Yeah, well, and Paul says that specifically in First Corinthians that this this message is foolishness. To people and I, I talked about that on the sermon on Easter. Like Paul, when th- the reason Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel," is because it was a message that people were shaming him for. Yeah. You know, it sounded foolish. It sounded mm-hmm. crazy. It sounded not not real. You know, Die to yourself. <laughs> yeah, all of that. And so there's 
so the the preaching of the gospel is less flashy than Mo, you know, or Moses going into the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory of God descending and lighting the place up in such a way that when he would come out, his face would shine with the glory of God. Well, that would be cool. I feel like I could, you know, I could preach if my face was shining like that. You know what I mean? Wait for it. He'd be like, wait for it. He ain't anointed yet. Wait for it. Oh, there it is. You know what I mean? Like that has outward glory to it, right? With literally, um, it's, it seems more miraculous, more powerful, more convincing. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, witchcraft, you kind of get into that with witchcraft and stuff. Um, and the gospel was like, no, I don't need that. It's a message of foolishness. The evidence of this is in its, if it's, its um, efficacy. It actually changes lives. It sounds so simple. It sounds almost, it sounds so foolish and yet it takes hardened sinners and gives them new hearts and they love and serve Jesus and they, they live their life for God. Like it's amazing, right? And baptism, you're dunking somebody in water. (laughs) Well, but it's a sign and a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection Mm -hmm. and of us being washed from our sins and the power of the gospel and taking the Lord's Supper every week. It's a renewing of the covenant that we've walked. So covenant, remember the covenant? Every covenant has stipulations, right? You do this, I do that. You do this, I do that. Well, covenant of grace is first God does this, then we respond this way. But here's the deal. If you're not faithful to me, he would say, I'm not faithful to you. If you curse me, I'm gonna curse you. Like that was a covenant. Well, the covenant of grace is Jesus was cursed for us And so now we get all the blessings and none of the curses, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is we can be unfit. We are unfaithful to our side of the covenant, right? Right. And so what we do every Sunday when we take the Lord's Supper is we're renewing our covenant with God. We're saying we walked away from you, but you were so gracious. You gave us this meal every single Sunday so we, we could renew our covenant. We could come back before, before you repent and be restored and you're faithful to us, yeah. you know? And so that's why we take the Lord's Supper every single week. We're, we are, it's a, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. Yeah. So this is not a topic we talk about too often. Okay, let me say this. This is why I believe we should be baptizing our children. Because under... The Old Testament covenant of grace, they circumcised their children, right? Covenant, yeah. Okay? In the New Testament, circumcision has now been replaced by baptism. And when you see people getting baptized in the New Testament, they're baptized and their whole household Mm -hmm. is getting baptized. Likely, kids are in that household. If kids were included in the Old Testament covenant of grace why would they not be included in the New Testament covenant of grace? So why is it such an open-handed discussion? Because people differ on it. People differ on it. People, people are like, well, show me the Bible verse that says we should baptize children. And I'd say, I say, well, that's completely backwards. Under the Old Testament, we were circumcising children, right? Children were inside of the covenant community. 
until, show me the scripture that, that kicks them out. Show me the scripture that doesn't include them. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you have to wait, you have to wait, you have to wait. You can't, you can't be baptized yet, you have to wait. Show me that scripture. If they were included under the Old Testament, an Old Testament uh, covenant of grace, why wouldn't they be included under the New Testament of grace? <clears throat> and I don't think it makes sense because I think <clears throat> Christian parents, well, they're not a believer yet. They're not a believer yet. I'm going to baptize them when they're a believer. And yet they teach them to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not your father yet. He ain't your daddy. He ain't your daddy. He ain't your daddy yet. He'll be your daddy when you, when you profess your faith. Right. We don't do that. <clears throat> you know? And so I think most people haven't thought about it very deeply. They haven't studied um, covenantal theology. And, and they are works-based. They think baptism is about when they professed faith, their work, when I believed, when I chose to believe. Baptism isn't about your work. Baptism is about God's work in his son, Yeah. right? And Jesus gave you that child, and I think you should give them the sign and seal of the covenant, just like you would do in the Old Testament covenant of grace. You should do that with baptism now. So why why baptism and not also communion or the Lord's Supper? Why? Okay, good, great question. So baptism is the is the entrance, right? The co- the creation of the covenant, right? The covenant entrance exam or whatever. Uh, the, the word I'm the word I'm looking for is evading my mind right now, <clears throat> but it's where you're getting accepted into the covenant community, right? And then. The Lord's Supper is a covenant renewal ceremony, right? Covenant renewal takes faith. You got, you got it takes belief, right? And so what I what what I do is I baptize my babies, and then I don't give them communion until they come to me and they go. Usually they come to church, the, the gathering, you know, they they start coming to the gathering and they come up and they look at me, and either one time I had to do them like, and my son just lost his mind and. We go home and he have to have this, why, why didn't you give, why didn't you? And me, I'm like, well, son, you got to believe. He looks at me like, what? I believe Jesus died for my sins. I've believed the gospel my whole life. What are you talking about, dad? And I'm like, okay. I just wanted to confirm that, that you did. Next time. priest the gospel to you. <laughs> yeah, but again, he's looking at me like, you think I'm an unbeliever? Like, right. you know what I mean? And then, bef- then when my daughter came up, as soon as she was coming to the, the service, as we had the conversation beforehand. Talk to her about the gospel. Talk to her about this. Are, are you a believer? And yes, of course, Dad, I'm a believer. Of course I'm a believer. Okay, I give you the Lord's Supper. And so, and so that's, the nat- that's the natural conversation. Parents make it out to be such this weird thing where they're like, I don't really know if my kid believes yet. I don't really know if he believes yet. I, don't really, I can't get baptized yet. Can't get baptized. Can't be, I don't really know if he believes yet. And you're like raising your child like he's an unbeliever until he like proves it. Yeah. And when is your kid going to prove his salvation. (laughs) I got a 14-year-old and he's, I got a 14-year-old, he's great and all, but I'm still looking at him like, oh Lord, Mm -hmm. this, this kid, right? Um, So I I think it's just backwards, man. I think it's a covenant of works. I think people make, I think they make baptism into a work and, um, and they, they don't give their kid the sign and the seal of the covenant, which I think they should. So would that be an issue if we if we 
start pushing that. I, I guess from since it's from scripture that you talked about all households. Yeah. Would that would that be something that people would be like, oh no, we can't do that. Yeah. Or I'm I, leaving the church if we do that. So I've said we've said this before. You know, John Piper is one of my heroes of the faith. He's a Baptist. He believes, you know, you wait until the kid professes faith to be baptized. Uh, Tim Keller and Martin Luther and John Calvin and all these guys, they they were baby baptizers, right? Um, and so I want to have a church where you can have, where both of those guys can serve and be pastors and be members together. And though I'm personally convinced, so I'll, I'll tell you, right, you know, like most of the elders are personally convinced that, um, and covenant theology and, and baby baptism. But we see how it is more of a complicated, you, you got to understand some theology. You got to understand some, some details, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of people in our city grew up in like Baptist type churches. And so they just don't have the framework for it. Or, or and there's some people out there that, that are like, obviously John Piper, it's not, he, 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 disagrees with it. You know what I mean? He, he, and he's a strong theologian. So we see that you can, um, disagree with this and we want to, and baptism is always secondary to the gospel. And so the gospel is closed handed. Baptism is open-handed. And Paul does this himself when he says, when he says, like, I didn't come to baptize people. I came here to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I try my best to make a convincing argument through my paper on the sacraments and through when I talk with people, I think everyone should baptize their baby. But some people aren't convinced. Okay? So, Bryson being one of them. Yeah, Bryson being one of them. So how would you push back on the argument I just gave? Um, Let me get my Google one out. I know that there is uh, at least one verse that comes to mind that says, believe and be baptized. Right. Um, and then, I mean, I would say the same thing that you said that I would already say. It was like, I don't see any. But it also says, this promise is for you and your children. I appreciate it. <clears throat> I'm not saying I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would just say the same thing you already said that I would say. I don't see it anywhere in the text. And so I understand what you're saying. It makes sense to me. I just... And I wouldn't. So, push. so what would you say about my comment of? <clears throat> it, it makes sense that it's not in the text because he never changed his mind. Why would God include children in the Old Testament covenant of grace and then exclude them? Do you think the New Testament is is more narrow? Grace is more narrow, or is it wider? Mm, okay, so I was thinking about this when you when you this is where my head was spinning actually when you said the the gears are turning. So it seems like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, the that covenants are almost as you go through them, like dialing in a little bit more. Maybe not the Davidic covenant because that was like, if your sons keep my law, they'll stay on the throne. Like, that was pretty specific to David's family. Um, but it's like, Abraham, nations will be blessed. Like, Noah, the world's <clears throat> not going to get flooded. Um, and then, like, Christ, it's like the church. 
So I don't know. I'm thinking like, is it more, in a sense, is it a little more narrow? So I, I would disagree. I would say the exact opposite. One, because they're all the same covenant. The covenant of, Ab- covenant of Noah saving the world, the covenant of Abraham in you, many nations, many nations will come from you, right? That's expansive. And that's fulfilled in Jesus, right? Go preach the gospel to all nations. The body of Christ is many nations, not just the nation of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about right now, billions of people on this planet professing faith in Jesus Christ. And so that covenant, the recipients of the covenant, it expands. It doesn't shrink. I mean, not, not that it couldn't, you know, do go in and out a little bit as people reject Christ and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it was very narrow. Like Noah was actually narrow because it was just Noah, him and his family. <laughs> He's, it was, it was, you know, destroyed the whole world, but only him and his family were saved right? Mm-hmm. That was really narrow. And then you get to Christ and how, how many people are saved now in Christ, right? That, that covenant is way bigger. The recipients of that is way bigger. So I, I would actually argue that it, it continually expands. And that's what a lot of the New Testament's about. You know, we're no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, right? It's not nationalistic. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's universe-wide. He's, behold, I'm making all things new. He's renewing all things. Even, you know, the powers and the uh, principalities of all that are subjugated to Christ. So what, I guess I had to go look this up. Um, First Peter 3.21. Uh, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a, almost a tricky one with baptism anyway, but it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal of God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think, and even you would say, like, even if I'm baptizing my kids, that does not guarantee their election or salvation or anything. Like, if anything, you're, like, you're either baptizing them with into the, death yeah, or into life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the way covenants work. You either accept, you know, you either, ex- so you follow, you obey the covenant or you don't. Well, how do you obey the new covenant? You believe. That's what obeying the new covenant means, right? You put your faith, you trust in Christ. That's what it means to obey. And if you do, you're cleansed. You're resurrected, right? If you don't, you're drowning in your sin. That's what baptism symbolizes, right? And like that's this is where like so this is the big difference between Lutherans and well Lutherans and Catholics and um, Protestants and Baptists. That scripture right there is kind of a difficulty for a lot of people like us that would say, "Hey, baptism is not salvific." Well, that right there says baptism saves you. <laughs> mm-hmm. How is it not salvific then? The Lutherans go, "It is salvific." It is salvific. The Catholics say it is salvific. Now, the Lutherans say you still have to, you know, profess your faith, all that. Catholics, like, you just get baptized in the Catholic and you're going to heaven as a, you know, or you're going to purgatory or wherever, wherever you're going. Um, but Baptists and such 
believe that verse, you know, it's just another way of, it's just in reference to basically the gospel is what they're, was what, was what they're saying, which is kind of hard to see when he says straight up baptism, you know what I mean? But baptism is a sign and a seal of the gospel itself, of, of the work of Christ. It's not just an outward act. It's not like a, a work that we do to be saved, mm-hmm. right? Because it's in response, clearly, to the work that Christ has already done. You think you can break down uh, for some people that... Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Sorry, Tate. If it's a response, infants haven't responded yet. I know. I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm their daddy. Okay. There's no infants wanting to be baptized. <laughs> There's Christian fathers wanting to obey the covenant and raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and wants to give them the sign and seal of the covenant, just like circumcision was a sign and seal of the old covenant. Now baptism is sign and seal of the new covenant. And so as a godly father, I want to put that sign and seal on my children. So I'm responding to the work of Christ. On behalf of your children? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Same, like, and I'm teaching them the word, right? I'm teaching them what, who God is. I'm telling them the story of God. I'm raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. All of that is a response to what Jesus has done, right? It's not a work that I'm doing on my own. It's a response to what Jesus has already done in my life. So what's, what's the spiritual efficacy of infant baptism? So it's a sign and a seal of the covenant promises, right? And so I, can't, I, I don't know how to specifically say like what is the spiritual efficacy because I would say the same thing. What's the spiritual efficacy of preaching of the word? What's the spiritual efficacy of raising your child in the church? They're around the gospel. Like it's a sign of the gospel, right? So it's another way that the gospel can become real. To somebody, you know, um, does God do? I mean, I think God does something in baptism. I think God does something in the Lord's Supper. What is it? <laughs> There's a lot. Been a lot of fights over that. I don't know. I don't know what He does. I don't. I've never felt it. Like you know, but all I know is I've been doing it for a long time, and I'm different. I'm more Christ-like today than I was ten years ago. So. There's some efficacy in it, mm-hmm. right? I think um, you can uh, kind of break down for some people that may not know. Um, you talked about covenant, but what is this open-handed, closed um, discussion that you're talking about? So the things that are the, the things that are more clear in Scripture, we want to close our hands on and like I'll die for these truths. And the things that are kind of a little bit less clear. We want to leave some room for people to disagree, for people to take some time. So here's the deal. If I go, in order to, be, in order to come to this church, you got to baptize your babies. A Baptist shows up on day one. He's like, oh, we're out of here. Doesn't even stick around and hear, hear me preach the gospel, hear me exposit the word of God. Doesn't understand why we baptize babies. Doesn't understand the community that we've got here. This church could be the best thing for him, but he would leave and go to some crappy I'll just say a, a, a worse church just because they don't baptize babies. I think that's horrible. So I would rather 
I would rather have an open-handed view to give this person maybe, maybe it takes him five years to, maybe he never sees my point of view. Maybe, but maybe it takes him five years and he comes around and goes, oh, I think, I, I, I'm convinced now. I'm convinced. I, I think I need to baptize my children. Um, I would rather have, have a church that has an open-handed view on that, you know? And, and it's, we're not gonna divide over that issue. I don't know if a hypothetical, a hypothetical maybe not be helpful at all. Okay, so say you sway me 10 years from now mm-hmm. and I have a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Would I baptize them? Would I, like... Maybe this hypothetical is not even helpful. I don't know. Well, after you already baptized my baby? No, he hadn't. He didn't no. do it as a baby. Oh, okay. 14-year-old... Um, I think I think it's. I don't think so. I think fourteen year old is like weird. I don't know. That's great. That's a good question. Um. I think I think you would have as a as a godly husband and godly father, you would sit down with them and you would you would explain to them the error of your ways and how you've been disobedient to the Lord for fourteen years, but now that you're going to repent and you're going to and you want to get on the right path and. Uh, <clears throat> You want to raise them up in the fear and admission of the Lord, and you think it's time for them to get baptized. And uh, that fourteen-year-old would look at you and go, "Dad, Pastor Alex already baptized me two years ago at youth camp. What are you talking about? I'm already been baptized." <laughs> and then that twelve-year-old go, "I've never been baptized, Dad. I want to get baptized." And that six-year-old's like, "Yeah, I want to get baptized too, Dad." I think that's probably what you know, something like that. Hypothetically, something like that would happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've got people all the time like. Usually it's like when the baby, they're like, they got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, three-year-old, you know, and they, they come to see it <clears throat> and they, and they want to, um, baptize their, baptize their babies, you know, and they do it all at the same time. I think it's, I think it's good. Yeah. So, all right. Is that it? All right. Theology for everyone on God's covenant. Hopefully you guys, um, enjoyed it if you got questions email me justin dean at sacredcitychurch.com we love you i hope you're doing well enjoying the beautiful weather outside we will see you on sunday god bless